was in my zone. I had my chamois on my head in the corner, like not paying attention and just went dive through dive. And then, oh my God, is that my name at the top? Like what? Well, <laughs> it's going to be a big shock. <laughs> I'm actually... Excellence is about spin. And excellence is a requirement to the dream come true. Welcome to Unfiltered Athletes. I'm your host, Leo. In this podcast, we go behind the scenes with world-class athletes to reveal the untold stories of their journeys. From grueling training sessions to mental strategies to achieve greatness, get ready for a raw, unfiltered look at the world of sports. Today, I'm thrilled to have Olympian diver Selina Toth with me on the podcast. We delve into the riveting world of professional diving and Selina shares personal insights of her career from challenging coach relationships to moments of sheer ecstasy with an unfiltered look into the daily hustle of this remarkable career. Brace yourself for the bombshell revelation in the second half of the episode. So grab your headphones for an amazing journey into the life of a true diving champion which started on that very special day up on the diving platform. I was invited to the Olympic trials that year for three meter. And it was like a month before national junior nationals. And I went to junior nationals in Thunder Bay. I was 16. It was in 2008 and just came out of nowhere and won the platform final. Um, It was so random because I wasn't like thinking of myself as a platform diver. I was just invited to trials randomly for three meter. It was like the biggest deal. And I oh, just, you just invited out of nowhere. How does that happen? Oh, <laughs> did, you, I, you, did you know people or did they just select you on the street? Like just randomly? <laughs> it was based off of like results from a senior national event. But that was my first senior national event or like one of the few. And I didn't like make the final. So like for me, it was like really out of the blue. Like I, I was I was gaining momentum, but I was still quite young. So when I got the call to go to Olympic trials, it was like, whoa, like, okay, cool. Let's just go have fun. Um, and it was actually out here in Victoria where I live now. And so, um, and that went well. I weirdly made the final. But um, the next, so the next event was that junior nationals. And it was one meter event first, then platform, and then three meters. So my three meter event, which was my best event at the time, was my last event of the weekend. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, hopefully, hoping I wasn't going to be tired and all that stuff. But I remember just being so nervous. And my mom was like, you know what? It's going to be fine. Like she stayed up with me that night, like making sure I could go to sleep. And like, for some reason, it was just this weird other feeling. And, you know, I coasted through the prelim. I felt pretty good in my head. And my coach was like, she's not very good at keeping her poker face. But this time she managed to do it and she did not let anything slide. Like I was in my zone. I had my chamois on my head in the corner, like not paying attention and just went dive through dive. And then we finished the prelim. I was like, oh my God, is that my name at the top? Like what on platform? I was first year of that age group of three years. So it was like crazy. Like I should have been 
lower down the ranking because I don't plat I don't train platform as much. And, you know, I'm fresh in this age group. So there's girls that are a lot better than me. And so I was like, whoa. And then in the final, you do at the time, I think we did compulsories or something like that. So I remember just being on the platform, facing backward, doing my easy dive and having like the girl that should have won glaring at me, like so upset, like, where did you come from? And then my coach again, like I didn't want to pay attention. She got through it without letting me know that I was going to win. But on my last dive, I was on the seven meter instead of the 10 meter. And I could see, I was closer to the stands and I could see in the corner of my eye, all of my teammates from Ontario, like getting ready to run down the stairs and like, give me a hug and like, congratulate me. And I'm like, just land on your head, just land on your head. Like it doesn't matter what happens because I didn't know the scores, just land on your head. And so I went and I hit the water and it's so, so rare that you often hear the crowd underwater. And that was the first time I ever heard that. It was nuts. The whole pool erupted. I like, I still get goosebumps talking about it now. Um, I get out of the the pool over the bulkhead and just everybody's surrounding me. I could not like go to the edge of the deck. Like it was just everything was happening underneath the platforms and it was so cool. And my coach was there, all my teammates, other people from around the country who I'm super good friends with. Like I'm a very chatty person. So I knew everyone and I think everyone was very excited for me. And the the national team head director at the time, like put his hand in the middle of the group was like, Selena, welcome to the national team. And I was like, oh. and brought my parents down and my parents got to be there. And uh, it was just such an overwhelming, so cool, something to experience at 16. Like it was amazing. And like, that was like my breakout moment in diving, I would say as well. Um, making my name for myself in the sport. Um, and then I had three meters the next day and somehow managed to get through it and get a bronze. So that was that weekend, that whole, whole experience just with the team. Like we stayed in a, um, it was in Thunder Bay. We stayed in the university dorms and all of team Ontario, like all the teams, we were very, very close at the time. Um, and so we all stayed there and like every night we'd play like soccer, baseball and the parents would get involved. And like the whole thing was just an incredible week and is still one of my top three favorite competitions. Nice. So you said um, this was all new uh, for you. Was it, do you think like raw talents that, that um, played a big part or was it just luck that day or what was the, the combination of stuff that, um, that made that day so special? I think it was a combo of everything. Like I was one of the athletes that was always told like, you're not going to make it. You're not good enough. You're overweight. Um, for like, not when I was a junior, but when I, you know, got older and, and matured and my body changed, that was something like I just wasn't as talented as everybody else. And as a junior, like I was good, but I wasn't as good as the people who would be really good in the sport. And it just came naturally too. I had to work really hard always. Um, and so honestly, like that day, I, I don't, I don't know. I just, I trained my dives. I worked really hard. I was in my zone. Maybe I don't, I don't even remember the event because I didn't watch it. I, I don't know if other people had just a bad day. Um, but like that set it for me of like how I was going to work, you know, because 
tower wasn't the event that I thought I was very good in and, and everybody thought I was better at three meter. And so it was always other people's, you know, perceptions. And I was just going with the flow. I started diving when I was 12. I was very, like I was much older than when you usually start. So I was just kind of going with it at that point. And then I was like, oh, okay, if I work really hard, I can do this. And, and then it just, I just kept getting better and better from there. And was this uh, competition kind of the tipping point that made you know or think that you would that would be your full time you know, focus for years to come? Um, you said you started around twelve, then you were sixteen at that time. Probably the first four years you do that for fun, or you, you see that you're good, but it's mostly talent, and and you just get better. But is that the moment when you figured that's my stuff and that's where I'm gonna spend you know day and night uh, trying on? I think so. Yeah. Um... I was getting invited, like I made senior nationals. I hadn't made senior nationals on like, maybe I had on that board. I'd, I'd been competing on all boards, but I wasn't like making a dent at the senior level um, on tower at that time. And I think having qualified for the junior national team and then the next consecutive, two consecutive years after that, like I was, I never medaled after that. I was always fourth, but um because the competition gets harder and everything. But I knew that I wanted to try. I knew that diving was something I loved. And, you know, you could go away to the U.S. and get a scholarship, get your degree, and, you know, do well. At the time, it seemed like you could you could continue to get better over there, but a lot of people were getting injured. So it was like, I want to go to the Olympics. And to be honest, I can't remember what made me think I could or what was like, what triggered it. I, I I would assume that I still get goosebumps over that event. So that was probably part of it. Um, but yeah, I was just like, you know what, I'm going to do this. Like I'm going to go to the Olympics. I'm going to at least do my best and what I can't give up now. I want to make the senior team. I want to travel. So how do I do that? And it was from there on out, I was trying to make the senior standard at senior events to go to senior competitions so that I could still get my degree, but do it in Canada. So for me, the best option for me to get better was not to go to the US. It was to stay in Canada, but I also wanted to go to school. And so in Canada, if you're carded, you get some funding towards an, um, your degree. So my goal was to get that standard to be part of the senior team right out the gate. Um, so that I could go to school. Uh, I got accepted into UVic. So I went, I came out here. This was the second best place in the country to dive. It just totally made sense. So I came out here and I got so, I would say lucky, but the level of competition I, I was prepared for. It was my first Grand Prix, but I was ready for it. But it was like, you only have one shot. So like, I don't know if I'm going to go to school next year. <laughs> like, who knows what my future looks like and one opportunity. And I, I did it. It was, it was awesome. And I, you know, was set and, and it was just going to be from there on making sure you continue to get better to stay carded so that I could keep getting my degree because it took me nine years. So. Wow. Uh, so a bit of technicality, because I realized that I don't necessarily know all the details. Uh, you mentioned the Grand Prix. So what do they represent in terms of, you know, level of competition is you know international and all that uh and you mentioned that you were not a platform diver uh, before uh, that you started with the three meters and i think you're on the 10 meters so what are the different uh 
whatever okay. levels or I don't know exactly uh, uh, skills okay. that you that you need to have for those different sets. So, in age group diving, as a junior, there are a certain amount of dives that you do per age group. So you obviously start with fewer and then build up. So when you get to A, the rules are very different now from where they were when I was a junior, and I still don't understand them. I had to learn last weekend out of provincials coaching and that was a mess. But um, at the time you did in a, you had to do 10 meter platform. And so I, as a junior, you also, unless you specialize, which at that time there was no specialization, you did all boards. So I did one meter, three meter and platform. And then when I was an A diver, I learned the dives to do 10 meter because you had to do 10 meter at that point. And then also at senior level, Hey, Leland, stop it. Sorry. He's trying to chew something. Leland. Um, Leland is the dog. Leland's my dog. dog. Yes. <laughs> um, so at a senior level in women, you have five dives and they all have to be from the 10 meter. So if I was going to compete at a Grand Prix, which was the international competition that you would try and qualify for at senior nationals, um, that would allow you to be on the net, like get carded and be on the national team the following year. So the goal when it's not the Olympics or a world championship, the goal is to try and qualify for these Grand Prix so that you can get experience internationally. Are they the equivalent of what people in ski, for example, are called World Cups event? Yeah. Are they the similar? At the time, okay. Yeah, at the time they were. And then um, now and in since then, um, they put in like a World Series level event. And so that was if you went to World Championships or World Cups and you were in the top eight or top 12, then you would be invited to those. So it kind of separated the level. Um, if you were going to World Series, you were no longer going to Grand Prix. Um, so the level was just a little bit more, I wouldn't say less, like I wouldn't say less competitive because it definitely still is competitive because the World Series is only eight people. Um, But it definitely allowed me to have a good platform to make myself confident because I could do well because I was just under that tier of World Series. So, okay, so that that <laughs> clarifies a lot of stuff and helps for the the next questions. Um, what made you then get to the ten meter? Because I think that's when where you now compete most, right? And yeah. you know, are, are there different strengths and and uh, that you need to be on one or the other? And yeah, what and makes you end up in one specific um like event height whatever yeah event (laughs) yeah so i think a lot of the time between platform and springboard your enjoyment in and fear is going to play a lot into it a lot of people don't like to go to 10 meter it's too high um so they'd rather do springboard for me I, when I got to that level, did not like springboard. It was way too risky. The fact that it moves, no. For me, it was like, it's just me and the platform. If anything goes wrong, like, it's my fault. It's not the it's not the board's fault or whatever. Yeah. I didn't have to control it. So for me, that's kind of why I chose platform. Um, but also body shape and type makes a difference. So if you have, if you're shorter, um, and and more stocky and muscular, it's going to be good to be on platform 
So I have like a, a bigger upper body than I do lower body. So that prepares me well for platform and hitting the water at, at you know, like such a high impact. Um, whereas on springboard, you often see the opposite. They've got bigger legs, stronger lower body and a smaller upper body um, so that they can really use the springboard um, and get all of the height and power out of it. Um, so for me, my body type and the way that you know, I moved best was way more conducive for a 10 meter platform than a three meter springboard at, at that Olympic international level. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not be able to keep up with the women on three meter. If, if I, you know, when I retire, if I were like, Oh, let's try a three meter list. Like you, it, it wouldn't go well for me. So that's why I okay. to platform. Okay. And what does the day to day of a diver look like? And I'm very much of a numbers guy. I would say how many dives do you have to do in practice for every single dive that you do in competition, for example? So I saw a few of your uh, videos on Instagram and it's just repetition over and over on mats, then in the pool and stuff like that. So yeah, what's the ratio and what's the what's the day-to-day to you know be at your top for those right, three dives a year that are that international level and super important? Mm-hmm. So lucky for me, I've been around a long time. I'm the veteran of this event, the oldest female up there. Um, and I actually haven't been diving as long as some of them that are that are just as old as me almost up there. Um, but the day-to-day would be, you know, um, depending on the day, uh, I try to separate your platform days, like when you go up to 10 meter so that it's not too hard on your body doing so many days of 10 meter in a row can be really, really challenging. And if you see in a lot of my videos in competition, I've got tape on my triceps and that's because I've done so much that they can't withstand the pressure and, and impact. So I have that tape to support me there, um, so that I can have a really good clean entry. Um, but so I try to separate that. And so my like weekly would be, you know, you come in on a Monday morning, you do a good dynamic warm up, a good stretch, get your body moving. And then we would do some abs and dynamic jumping and stuff to like kind of grab it, get more into a warm up of what we're actually doing for diving. And then I would do some, maybe some trampoline work or some jumps on the um, blocks and mats that you've seen. Um, And then we would get in the water and do like a simple morning workout, like simple dives on three meter tower, maybe some entries on five meter, like just to get the body into that movement of diving since we had like a day and a half off. So, Mm -hmm. and then Monday evening um, would be more of a lead up practice. So we would come in, do the same thing um, for dry land and warm up. It would be a little bit more intense. And then we would focus on some specific things that I would be working on that day. So if it was, I really needed to focus on my inward takeoffs, I would do a lot more inward technique stuff with inward jumps and inward flips on the block. Every evening workout, I would do flips on the blocks of every direction. So front, back, reverse, and inward. Um, And I would do, depending on what needs more work, it would be one set of five or maybe two sets of five. And I would do back flips, tuck, and pike. Um, We would also include 
a um, uh, air track. It's a little bit bouncy and we do some fast backflips. I hate those. We would do three to four sets of five in a row. And the older I get, the harder they get and the anxiety that they bring. Oh, um, anxiety for what? Because you, you've had accidents or, or incidents or just, nope. just, I just over and over. Okay. <laughs> okay. Just, just that. It. It's so hard. And uh, after a while, you know, it can get, I feel like I've, as I've gotten older, this has gotten scarier. It's way more mentally taxing on, on my heart. <laughs> That's a weird way to say, but I feel like I, I'm getting more and more scared the more I, longer I do this. But um, even though I'm confident in what I can do. Um, but then on a, so say a, a practice where we're doing a 10 meter session, it would be in an evening workout, most likely, depending on the year, the part of the season that you're in, you might add morning workouts, morning 10 meter workouts when you get closer to a competition to amp it up a little bit, um, and prepare you for prelims or semis that are in the morning. Um, so that you're awake when you're doing it. Um, but so a, like a 10 meter practice in the middle of a season where you're training pretty hard would be, I would probably do three 10 meter dives and I would do four to five of each. And then you do, so depending on the dive, you would do lead ups on smaller boards building into that main dive on 10 meter. So for back three and a half, I would do a couple back entries, so maybe three or four back entries on seven meter and then or five meter. And then I would go to a back dive on three meter or five meter and do three to four of those. And then I would go and do a back flip on the ground, like the onto into the water off of a block on the pool deck. You'd do four of those. And then so what's that? One, two, three, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve. Then I would do four more back doubles on three meter. So 16. And then my hardest lead up, I would go and do back two and a half on five meter. This is so difficult for me. The guys make it look easy as pie. But um, so that, depending on how I'm feeling, could be two. If they're really good, I'm going up. Or if they're bad, it could be five. So that would range. So 16 to 18 to 22, around there. And then per session, more per day of per, training. So just this. And then I would go to 10 meter and do four. So 25 ish dives for just that dive that bit of 25 dives buildups for the one dive that I would compete. And you do that for every dive. So one day I would do two hard dives and one easier dive of mine. So I would probably do reverse two and a half, front three and a half, back three and a half in the same day. And they would range around similar to 18 to 25 dives leading up to the dive on 10 meter. So you're probably, you're doing 50 plus dives a day. On a 10 meter. <laughs> and yeah, so does it get hard on the body? And especially as, as you, as you age, you said you need like bandage and stuff. Um, yeah. How, how do you, 
how do you recover from that? How do you not train, but how do you get your body used to that much uh, pressure on it? Oh, you don't um, <laughs> start late. I I am very lucky that I was a later start to diving. Um, it gave my body way more opportunity to build and not break down before it, you know, was fully developed. Um, so that was very, very lucky for me. That doesn't happen often. You get a lot of kids who start young that when they get to 10 meter before they're 18, they've got problems, the back issues. And, and is, it, is it mostly the entry in water that yeah. takes a toll on your body? And yeah. like you said, if your body is not fully developed, then it can hurt on the long run. Right. So you're hitting it at 60 kilometers an hour within three seconds of, you know, jumping. So, and you could land however, which way, like I did a really good dive and it, like I would have probably got seven half eights in a practice once and my elbow went this way and my hand went that way. And I tore my MCL in my elbow and the dive looked great. So you, you really never know. I, I am also very lucky to not smack that often. Um, but when I do, they're pretty good. So in a competition once, I collapsed both my lungs, um, landed flat on my back on the water. Um, that was pretty traumatic. But, you know, like I got up there two weeks later, as soon as I was allowed to get back in, I um, had to compete it a week after that. So I got back up and did it again. And um And I think that, you know, makes you stronger. Um, but definitely you have, I ice at, as soon as I became like 29, I had to ice my triceps after every practice, usually just every 10 meter practice to like bring that inflammation out. Um, but then in my lat, this last year, I, every practice, like it doesn't matter <laughs> where it is, what board it's on, how low or high I am trying to recover and in that best way I possibly can. And, and ice is one for sure. Um, but yeah, just making sure that you're not doing too much 10 meter at a certain age, um, not doing too many in a row. Um, it's actually, uh, quite difficult though, when you go to a competition, because you could have a, a schedule that doesn't allow for that. Like if you look at the world world championships going on right now. Kaylee Mackay, my uh, competitor, she just had to do prelim semis finals and synchro, 10 meter synchro, back to back to back. So it was like three days in a row. For three days, okay, yeah. Yeah, like insane. And then one of those days you're doing two lists a day plus practicing. So in a competition, if you had a prelim and a final, I would go in and do my whole list in the morning minus one dive. Then I'd practice my list before the event. Then you do the event and then you'd have finals. So you practice it again once before the final and then you do that. So you could do five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 10 meter dives alone in one day. Like that's, and that's only if you're doing one of each, right? So that's a lot of 10 meter. And she had to do that. Obviously she's not going to, Not ever. So say if she went in in the morning practice, she might not do her 10 meter optionals or right before the final. If she's already competed that day, she might not need to do them again. She, we would just do like a little warm up of lead ups or something. But that's a lot of 10 meter three days in a row. It's crazy. So it, it, 
triceps yeah. film, you know? It doesn't look when you when you see that on TV and you see a couple of gems and you're like, okay, they they did their gems, but you don't you don't see. It. And that's kind of what I like also about this podcast is understanding what goes behind whatever that five second you see on TV is just based on five years and five months leading up to that that special event. So that's it's quite amazing. Uh, yeah. You mentioned a bit earlier that your you had set that objective to go to the Olympics, which you did uh, in 2020 slash 2021. Um, is that something that also brings you goosebumps the same way that uh, uh, event at 16 year old uh, does? And yeah, how was it the experience to to get there when it was somehow your career most uh, your highest uh, career objective? I would love to say that I had goosebumps and it was all the most amazing thing um, qualifying for the Olympics in 2021, <laughs> um, but it it wasn't. It was. Um, it was so hard. I honestly, like during COVID and I was pretty lucky. We had such great weather and people trying to get us into the pool, um, as quickly as possible that we didn't have as much time out as other people did, which I think, um, what we did, I like had a whole setup in my backyard, um, with mat, a mat and a block for dry land and a whole weight set up and my teammate down the road came and trained with me every day. And so we, I feel like in that regard, we did not miss a beat. And then we got in the water much earlier than other people. So I had like, and we had so much time to train, like really do the lead ups and really make sure that I was doing enough numbers to be ready. So I, I don't think I would have qualified without that, but at the same time going through it and not knowing what was going to happen to the Olympics of like, is the IOC going to say yes? Is it going to postpone? Is it going to cancel it? I was like having such a hard time just making it one more year to 2020 with my training and my relationship with my coach and the NSO and just what was going to happen that I was like, just please cancel it. Just cancel the 2020 Olympics. I Because it was obviously a cop-out in my brain because I didn't want to, you know, go through it all and then not qualify, you know, and, and be like, ugh, like, you know, and so it was this way. It was just like, oh, nobody qualified. Nobody had the opportunity. My thing was taken from me, blah, blah, blah. Total cop out. Glad I, like, very glad that I didn't continue thinking that way. It was just, you know, such a dark place. And I, we were doing a behind the boards type of interview thing with, with other people in, in DPC and, um, t and they were talking through to us through COVID. And I think that was really awesome because we kind of have this, like, it was like a journaling of how you felt through it. And for me, it was just such a roller coaster um, because I didn't want to keep going and I didn't want to go back and be in a difficult situation with, in, or just difficult environment with the people I was training with. And um, so I just honestly took it month by month. I was like, Kate, we'll do this month, see how we go. Do this month, see how we go. Obviously, relationships get better when you're doing well. Um, so that was good for me and my coach. Um, and then, you know, we had to decide whether we were going to go to World Cup that year or not. For me, it didn't make sense to have to go and uh, quarantine for however long and then come back and lose another three, two to three weeks from quarantine. Like it just was a waste of training for me, which I needed 
to qualify more than I needed to compete training, which I had figured out. I figured out how to compete before 2020. My mental game was so strong, but you don't train that during COVID. We didn't do it. So when it came to competing at the Olympics, I wasn't the same person as I was going into that year or what should have been the Olympic year um, where I would have been really well prepared at that sense. But who knows if I would have been physically prepared. So it's kind of double-edged sword there of like, I was physically ready, but I wasn't mentally ready. Um, So I didn't have a great performance, but you know, the leading into it, we got it done. So I was like incredibly proud of myself because everyone, so many people would say, you're not, you can't do it. You're not going to do it. You don't work hard enough. You're not good enough, blah, blah, blah. And I was so freaking determined so persistent that I was never going to let anybody say I couldn't do something. And, and I did it. And I'm, I'm the oldest person in diving to qualify for their first Olympics at 28. Everybody else is, as you know, either left before then or had qualified. So, um, I, I wear that one with pride. Nice. And um, yeah, of course, I mean, the, the Olympics is like a set, usually, apart from 2020, is a set date, probably before 2024 it is. And reaching that is like a one or two year process that you have like on the schedule. So probably that that yes, no, maybe might not happen is canceled. It's like you train to be at the top at day X. And then you're supposed to stay at the top for another 365 days to go to another. Yeah. Was it on top of the mental aspect of it, like physically? draining to just kind of changed change your uh your approach to whatever the date might be um yeah and just because you want to reach the top and be ready for that event but then extending that for one year is is probably crazy hard on the body and the, the and the mental yeah it was definitely hard more mentally i think for me than physically but what was hard physically was like just so many unknowns. It was like, okay, we have to be ready for this. Oh, Kate, nope, that's canceled. Oh, well, we have to be ready now earlier. Oh, just kidding. We have another like three weeks to wait. Like that World Cup got pushed, canceled and re-added and pushed again. And it was like, what's happening? <laughs> like, not only is that mentally hard to wrap your head around of like, how are we going to train for this? But physically, like, some you do like a really hard two weeks and then you come down and then you have to go back up because you know you you want to peak at another time so you have to build your body mm-hmm. up again to come down so you can peak like the uh it was very difficult but going from we're shutting everything down the year of 2020 yeah. to going home and not being able to go to the pool and train i actually loved that part I just, I needed a break from the pool and I was already getting to that point of like, how am I going to make it through 2020 physically and mentally? Like this environment is not working for me. And so being able to like force to step out of it and do something different was honestly so nice for me. Like it just gave me a new 
headspace, a new way of training, a new, I do really well when I'm in those strength blocks and we didn't have anything else to do. So we just, you know, did repetition after repetition after repetition, working on that form and technique and lifting weights and just getting strong. And so when I came back to the pool, I was ready physically. Um, so for me, that was really, really good. I think it was more of a mental challenge of just making sure that I could get back to the pool and back into competition. And would you qualify that uh, period of time as one of your lowest points in, in your career? Or um, well, yeah, how, how would you say um, that compares to the low points that you had to go through through that you know, uh, years of, uh, of careers, career? I would say it was, it was definitely hard because I was thinking of retirement then too. And I was like, well, if we can't do this, like what's the point of keeping going? Um, and so I just, it was very, very low and, and, but I had so many positives come from it that it, it doesn't feel as dark as it probably did when I was in it. Um, but my, I think my lowest point was after the Olympics. My darkest period was after what am I going to do, but not particularly those months right after the Olympics. It was more of the following year of when I came back to training So after I took about five months off after the Olympics and just needed a break, I'd never taken a break in my whole career since I was 12. So, um, and I was 28. <laughs> so it was a long time. And then I had decided that I needed a change and I want to go get my master's degree. So I said, I'm finally going to go down to the US. So I found somebody that I felt I could trust, which we had planned leading into 2020. So okay. that got also pushed back. And then things changed, went to different schools. Anyway, got down there and I was planning on diving as well to maintain, to be able to come back for nationals and qualify for the Commonwealth Games that year. And, and that was the big one. So whatever was left in Commonwealth Games. And, um, and so I was also going to school and I had to coach because that was how I was able to be down there was by being the assistant coach for the diving club or team. Yeah. So that was an absolute disaster. Um, I was planning on being there for three years. I was there for three months. Um, oh. The coach and I, I have only experienced him in competition settings. And I'm very, I was very good friends with his daughter who he coached. Um, And who then was down there also diving with him at a new school. So, um, but he's very controlling. Like he's very old school mentality of, um, he, he has a very hard time letting go of him being the coach and taking other perspectives. Um, and it was just so difficult and he could not, he made all these promises and then could not fulfill them. So I basically didn't dive for like nine months. I was training in weights in the gym and I got in maybe once or twice a week. But when I did, I was coaching myself for the back half of that year. And um, I literally, it was me, the only person in the pool, which probably wasn't a safe or could have been a liability on their part, but um, having nobody lifeguard in the pool, but whatever. Um, and I was just trying to get ready to come back for nationals in the summer in that year. Um, And after a while, he we went to like their first big meet, uh, the SEC championships, and we came back and we had a week off. And he said, 
um, yeah, I can't do this anymore. Either you quit diving and be here and coach and go to school or you can't do this. And I was like, okay, super upset. Like that, those three months from coming off of the Olympics and still, you know, not feeling good about that. And then coming to a new place completely alone and being in a very toxic harming situation was like the lowest I've ever been. And I like called home and was like, I need to come home. I want to keep diving. I'm not done. I I went to SECs and watched my teammates who are down in the States just absolutely destroy. And I was so excited. I was like, oh, I got to get back there. So I really wanted to get home and dive. And then I came home and that home was no longer welcome. Even though it was, they said they were, they weren't welcoming of me. And I was treated very poorly. And I went, I had three weeks. I just wasn't a benefit to that coach anymore. That was some words that were said to me. Um, I went from zero to 100 in three weeks uh, to get ready for nationals. And I destroyed my triceps right before um, because I had to push, push, push. And I basically had essentially nine months off and then three weeks to get my 10 meter list back and qualify for whatever meets were left. And, uh, before leading into nationals that week, I wasn't sure I was going to have a coach because he was sick of my BS of my made up injuries. Um, I had a whole list of them dating back to when I started diving with my old coach before him. Um, in Ontario. And I was just like, okay, whatever. Um, don't really know what you want me to do here, but I'm going to go in and I'm going to do my best. And he did coach me, but it was very challenging. And at that point I had come to the end. I was like, this can no longer continue. And I'm, I won't continue to take this, um, from him. So, but I did qualify for Commonwealth Games and a Canada Grand Cup Grand Prix. And I didn't really have an option at that point to not dive with him. So I continued diving for the next three months with him. And that was the lowest I've ever been. I look at pictures and and it's just me trying to do what I love and do it for me and come back because yes, I wasn't happy with my performance at the Olympics and I thought I could make up for it and do better at the next one. But like that, that's just one reason. That's not the only reason. I I love it. I love the sport and I'm not doing it for the NSO. I'm not doing it for my coach. I'm doing it for me now. And you look at every picture and I just look miserable and not like myself. I am like bubbly, laughing, smiling, talking all the time. And that was not me for that whole year after the Olympics. And it was just so much lower. And it definitely came from not having had a good performance at the Olympics. And, and I think, I think that's why things changed with my coach too. And I just no longer, I was no longer going to be able to do any more. And so for him, that was enough and he'd had enough. Um, but I wasn't done. So I had to figure it out and it was really hard, but you know, we got through it. I'm in a new situation. I'm happy. I'm healthy and, and I'm doing it for me. Nice. So fast forward to today. What, uh, yeah, what state of mind are you in now, and uh, what's uh, what's next for you? Well, hmm. um, it's going to be a big shock. 
I'm actually retiring. Wow. Um, officially? Yeah. Non-officially? Semi-officially? I decided that November, right before our we had nationals in December, qualifying for the World Cup um, in Doha, which is happening right now. Um, and that is that competition is the last Olympic qualifier. Um, so all the athletes down there are under a lot of pressure. And I've been through that. I went through that in 2015. I had to qualify the last Olympic spot for us in 2016. Uh, and that was my first big world championship event. So that was, it's very, very hard. And I don't envy them. Um, but it was just getting too difficult. I was in a healthy situation. I was happy. I came to practice and, you know, we were doing all the right things. Um, but my body's not responding the way that I want it to, the way that I know that I can dive. I still feel, can picture it. I can feel it doing the perfect dive that I was ready to do at Tokyo. Like my training leading into that event there, I was a medal contender and I can still feel those dives, but my body can't do it anymore. And so it's just getting so frustrating. And it, I, you know, I'm a very emotional person, so I cry a lot, um, just trying to get through those practices. And it started to become more bad practices outweighing the good. And I had went to Pan Am's this past season and at the beginning of this season, and it was awful for me. I was not, I did not feel supported in, in the NSO environment there, like the coaches and the people that run the organization. I don't, I haven't felt supported in a long time. And I was so uncomfortable there. Um, I, I never get to bring my coach with me, um, because she's not one that, um, coaches other people on the team and they, they have their coaches they want to bring. Um, so she never gets to come with me unless I beg and she wasn't there. And I had lost a very close uh, diving friend to me the day we got there um, from cancer. So that was kind of leading into it was very, very difficult. And not being able to be with my teammates at that time was very hard. So it just was kind of compounding and, and wasn't a good event for me. And so when I came home a couple weeks after, or a week after, my coaches and my IST team, so my nutritionist, my sports psych, my strength coach, they were like, okay, nationals, four weeks, let's go we're going to add another day of 10 meter. And I'm like, no. Hey. I think the dog reacted to that. <laughs> he wasn't <laughs> happy either. I'm like, yeah, no. I said yes, but I was in my head like, no, I can't handle that. And then a couple of days later, we had a practice and it was just awful. And it was just a simple lead up day, no 10 meter. And I started like getting frustrated with myself. I would, I had to take a break. So I was like, needed to cry it out. And I was like, okay, I'll just get through this practice and then we'll figure it out. And then I continued and did a good dive and then moved on to my next uh, group. And it was awful. And my coach started getting really mad and they don't do that. They don't yell at me. They don't, um, you know, point their finger at me or anything. Cause they know I'm old enough to know what's right and wrong and what I'm doing wrong. And I have that physical awareness that I know what I should be doing. So uh, I did one. They got really mad at me. And then my body answered and did the next three perfectly. And then they called me over. And that is how I used to train. That was how I was coached before. I would get yelled at. And so that was like 
you know, a, a triggered response. That's how I've been trained to react, um, which is not how I've wanted to train as I got older and why I also part of why I made a move. Um, and they just sat me down and said, look, like, we don't want to coach you this way. We don't want to yell at you. You came here to dive with us to get out of that. And, you know, it's okay. Like, we just came to the conclusion that it retirement isn't coming. It's happening. Um, and it was so hard. And they gave me, they, we talked for 45 minutes. I was just bawling and they were crying and they giving me examples of other people who, you know, went through similar things and, and for everyone it's different. And for me, it was like, I just want to go to the Olympics again. And, but I, I knew that my body won't make it there. And then my mind, and I would just be in a darker place. So I, as soon as I talked to the people I needed to talk to, and I made the decision that nationals was going to be my last competition. And even if I qualified for worlds, I wasn't going to go. Um, because that's not what it, it was about for me. Um, and as soon as I made that decision, my diving went back to being as good as I was when I was ready to compete in Tokyo. I couldn't miss a dive. It was so good. And I was like, ah, like I can clearly still do this. But as soon as you add that pressure of if I qualify, I have to do this all over again and I have to get my back three and a half up there. And my, my twist is giving me chaos and like, it's just too hard. Um, so I went to nationals. I had a blast. I told only a couple people so they could share in it with me. Uh, I smiled the whole week. I told Kaylee. Kaylee was one of the girls I told. And um, and she was like, I knew something was up. You've been too happy all week. And th it was just a, it was really hard because my last dive was awful. But I did really well in the prelim. And I did what I needed to do. I had a good competition under my belt. And it was really hard to keep my emotions together and keep my body to do the right thing in the finals. It was really hard. But it was what I needed to do. And it was perfect. I like. And I came home and it was Christmas and I was just relaxed. And I know it's the right decision. It's not easy watching them compete at, at Worlds and be wanting to be there. And and I know it's not going to be easy to watch the rest of the season because my heart's still in it and I still love it. But ultimately, this is the right decision. Um, and yeah, I'm excited for what's next. It's not going to be easy. It's definitely not been <laughs> easy. I just yeah, got an email you seem from to be at peace with that decision in a sense, right? Yeah. You you, you yeah. smile when you you talk about retirement and all of that. So it's probably because it's just a decision that had to be made, right? Yeah, I definitely wasn't. When I thought about this after Tokyo, I wasn't ready. I wasn't smiling. Uh -huh. I was like, and now I'm like, I had to see it through. I had to play out my career. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't get to do that. And I'm very lucky that I did. And I did it on my own terms. And I'm very happy about that. And it's, I got an email from a job that I didn't get and it was really sad and it's going to be hard, you know, like to move forward, but I'm ready. Yeah. So what is it? What is the next professionally speaking? And you said you, you went back to study. So you, are you, you know, keeping up with this? Uh, what, what is your, uh, what are you looking to, uh, toward? I want to judge. I do not want to coach. <laughs> I would love to judge. So I'm looking into that. Um, I, I'm taking a business certificate right now. I'm interested in kind of business leadership um, and kind of teaching 
organizations how to work together that is effective and efficient for everyone. Um, so I love that, but I also am super interested in sports psychology and child development and trauma psychology. Um, so social work or something of that nature was what I was doing when I went down to the U S so I could continue that. Um, definitely school is the next thing of like getting me set up for my career. Luckily I'm one athlete who did a bachelor's while they were training. So that's already behind me and I can continue and go forward. Um, with a master's or something. But yeah, right now I I just, I don't want to have anything set. No concrete plans because if they don't happen, then ugh, that sucks. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather just have options, which I which I do have. And, you know, I'd like to get another job in, in this field um, and just work my way through there. Finance sucks, which is what I'm doing right now. Um, so that's really hard. But um, But yeah, it's exciting. Sweet. Very nice. Um, if you had one minute with a uh, 10-year-old Selena, what would you tell her? Or 12-year-old, let's say, first time you start uh, you start diving. Honestly, I said it during COVID and I said it during the Olympics and it's super cliche, but just never give up and do what you, be- you want to do. Um, if I had of given up because someone told me I was too fat when I was 21, Um, then I don't know where I would be. And I would definitely think that I'd be in a dark, I'd figure it out, but I'd, it would be very dark for a very long time. And, and that comment has impacted me and will still impact me. But yeah, that's what I would say to anyone is if you want something bad enough, don't give up on it. It's, uh, it's, uh, not too basic for an answer. I think it, it talks a lot about the, the personality in general and, and high level athletes also. Um, if you had to, if you wanted to hear one athlete uh, on the podcast, uh, who would that person be? Ooh. Okay, I have, I have three. <laughs> one, okay. Kaylee, obviously, because she's doing so well and has an incredible story. And I think you'd love to hear that. So her name's Kaylee McKay. She's in Montreal. Um, I think you, 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 uh, how do you dive, dove, you dove with her? Is it yeah. how do you, you or, dove sorry. with her? Yeah. So you did dive in, in synchro, right? Yeah. I had one opportunity. Um, that was amazing. And I wish that we had uh, had more, but they chose somebody else. So all good. Her and I are still very, very close. Um, so, and that won't stop just because I'm retiring now. So that's cool. Um, Rylan Weens, he is hilarious. Um, I absolutely adore him. Um, He and Nathan just qualified a synchro spot this morning for uh, the Olympics on 10 meter. So that's cool. He's hilarious. I've watched him grow up since he was little. He was actually afraid of me when he first met me. So that's funny. And then if it was somebody who's not at that level yet, but is so inspiring, her name is Kira Liu. And she is a young, she's in her 12th year. So her final junior year, she's, I think she's still 17. Um, and she dives with me here um, at BoardWorks. And she is such a little fighter. So absolutely incredible. And I, I love watching her every day. Um, and she's got such a career ahead of her. So she would be somebody that I think would be really cool to talk to, too. Very cool. So I have the three names. I'm going to try and uh, get in touch with them after the, the podcast. Um, and the last one, which is a recurring question. So I'm building a, um, 
museum of sports of some sort uh, with the people that I've talked to. Is there any gear from your career uh, that you might uh, throw away at some point that you could just uh, oh. sign in and send over? Absolutely. Um, I threw it all in a bin when I, after nationals at Christmas to like get rid of, just yeah. to, you know, clear out my closet, but I definitely yeah. um, will need to go through it. So when I do that, I can absolutely send something your way. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, well, now that you retired, you still um, want people to follow you on, on social media and stuff, or do you go more in a stealth mode? Yeah. So where do, do people oh, follow you? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. That's my main um, page, selena.toth. Um, yeah, I'm, I plan to stay in touch with sports. I'm a huge athlete representative and um, of the athlete voice, and that's not going to stop for me here. So um, if that's something that's super passionate with people out there, like follow me and, and I'm going to take you along on the ride of Canadian sports and athlete representation. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Serena. It was wonderful, uh, amazing story and uh, amazing perseverance for so many years at the, the top level. Thank you. I appreciate it. Best of success for your professional corporate career that is coming now. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. If you're still here, it's probably because you liked the episode, right? So if you want the podcast to grow and get more exceptional athletes, you can play your part by following us on your favorite podcast platform and on Instagram at unfiltered.athletes. It really helps us. And until next time, enjoy life.